0: Remember, we sang that song this morning, Our God is an awesome God. How do you find that out? How do we find that out for ourselves? Do you believe He's an awesome God? You're all nodding your heads, Charlie, obediently. But um, (laughs) in my own life, I've discovered discovered that I believed that for a long time. You know, I read my Bible, I do. But. I didn't really find that out until I stepped out for him or on his behalf, if you like, to represent him in the streets or in, you know, when I first talked to someone else about God. And especially, it seems, I don't know why this happens, but it seems that when you go really out, maybe to another country, your God becomes awesome for you. Because you don't have your comfortable crutches anymore. They're not there when you go to China. When you go to Africa, where it is a real challenge. The climate and the food and, and everything. It's a challenge. But that is when your God becomes awesome. Is young uh, Emily here? Emily, did you find that for yourself? Because you've been abroad, haven't you, for God? Did you find he became a lot more awesome for you? Do listen to some of Emily's stories about awesome God. Find her. Ask her about some stories of, of how he became awesome for her. We're going to read a big watch of Exodus. For some reason, I've been given the biggest watch of Exodus to do. It's called the fight. it was a bit of a fight, to be honest. But um, before I just launch into that, we're going to go for Exodus 8 in a minute. But before I launch, I just want to say, some of us, I know I have in the past, struggle with the Old Testament God. Let's be honest. When we read some of Exodus or some of the Old Testament, we think, oh, do I like this God? Seems a bit angry sometimes, a bit harsh, a bit um, a, a favorist for Israel. Is this the God that I want to show other people? But we also know, we know, that our world is pretty rotten. It can be pretty evil. We see it every day that we're on the news. If you can bear to watch the news these days, we we see it every day, our world needs a holy God. It needs the holiness, the cleansing of a holy God. The Old Testament is, is simply a history of God's dealing with a people called Israel. And in that history there's also a lot of beautiful poetry, fantastic teachings, things like Proverbs and Psalms and Job and all that. There's some fantastic stuff in the Old Testament. Let us not reject the Old Testament as unfit for us. For our modern, developed thinking. Are we above the Old Testament? No. We are in the Old Testament. We need this holy God now more than ever, however, however difficult it is for us sometimes to read. Trust the author of the Bible. Trust him when you read the Old Testament. All his word brings us life and truth, doesn't it? The more we're into it, the more we realise that. <coughs> oh yes, that was right. Jesus, of course, honoured the Old Testament. He didn't abolish it, did he? He could have. Some of his people here were trying to understand him said, does this abolish the law of the Old Testament, what you've just been talking about? He says, no, I'm not going to abolish it. I've come to fulfil it. Allow God to be angry sometimes. Allow your God to show anger at times, because he is holy, and our world is not. He doesn't really need to ask our permission anyway, does he? All right, let's read. Now, because this is a whopper of a a read, I'm just going to start it off by reading halfway through chapter (coughs) 8. And then there's going to be a special guest to read chapters 9 and 10. You won't see the special guest. It's his voice that is recorded. It is David <coughs> Suchet, the actor who played Pharaoh. Um, and um, his voice, I don't know if you're aware, perhaps many of you are, um, that we can get online on the internet, uh, Bible Gateway, which is all the translations of the English Bible that you can Want for whatever is your favorite one, you can get it on there. And uh, the, the NIV is read through the whole Bible by David Suchet. We've got some great readers in this church as well, but I because it's so long, <laughs> I just wanted to give us a listen this time to David Suchet. Right, so I'm going to start at chapter 8 of Exodus, verse 20. That's on page 65 of these periple Bibles. Page 65, Exodus 8, verse 20. The plague of flies. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the water and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. And throughout Egypt... The land was ruined by flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice your God here in this land. But Moses said, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? we must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Now, pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only be sure, that Pharaoh does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. (coughs) Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people, not a fly remained. But this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not
1: Let the people go. Exodus chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a As he stretched out his staff towards the sky the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground so the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth it was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation throughout Egypt hail struck everything in the fields both people and animals It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail, so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and barley were destroyed since the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials Hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Exodus something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go, so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is ruined? Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, Go, worship the Lord your God, he said. But tell me who will be going? Moses answered, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you, if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No. Let only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt, so that locusts swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, And the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshipping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied. I will never appear before you again.
0: What is chapter 10? Was that the end of chapter 10? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, quite by a long reading, hey, But how nice to have David sushi with us. And um, well done to my lovely assistant on the laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if that was going to work so I was so blessed that that went. It's dramatic stuff, isn't it? All these plagues. Let's just remind ourselves quickly of the main players in this amazing epic story. There's obviously Moses and Aaron, these two, at the beginning, trembling Hebrew brothers. One was 80 and the other was 83. You wouldn't think they'd be the main players, would you? The main players in an epic story in the Old Testament. 80 and 83. So there you go, 80-year-olds. You could be called even now. Amen. And then, of course, the other main player is Pharaoh. And his name is... What is his actual name? The Hollywood films that have come out. Prince of Egypt, one of the most famous ones, we've probably all watched that one, called him Ramesses. But all the Bible scholars and the historians have said, no, 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 it wasn't Ramesses. In fact, they couldn't find out who really... It was, somebody, one of the historians suggested some strange Egyptian name like Neferhotep or something like that, the third. (laughs) Who's ever heard of him? This guy's name is not recorded in the Bible. I wonder why. This Pharaoh was clearly uh, an arrogant chap. (laughs) Going back to Exodus 5, the uh, trembling Hebrew brothers bring him a word from the Lord. This is, the, is what the Lord God of Israel says, let my people go, wish I could say it like David's teaching. <laughs> let my people go so that they may, might worship me in the desert. And to that request, back in Exodus 5, the Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. You see, this Pharaoh was used to being obeyed. He was used to being worshipped. His identity in Egypt was uh, merged with the God of the sun. Ra. And uh, the image of the god Ra was with a sun. Oh, here's our beloved pastor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the image of the god Ra
0: is always with a huge circular sun on his head and two cobras, I think, coming up either the side. Um, and so Pharaoh's image was merged with Ra. So, of course, he was worshipped. He was supposed to be worshipped. So, this guy, Pharaoh, this main player in this story, he loved being worshipped and he was not used to anyone persuading him to do something he didn't want to do. He was used to being in total control of his own life and, in fact, in control of the whole of Egypt. He was used to winning every time. What do we teach our children as they grow up? Well, you've got to lose sometimes. <laughs> some of our kids don't like losing, do they? But all our children have to, have to remember that. have to have to learn that one, to be a good loser. Uh, this Pharaoh, I don't think had learned it. He was capable of some supreme mega stubbornness, we're gonna see in that story. God knew all that about this Moses before he even sent Moses and Aaron, didn't he? He knew all about it because he knew that this Pharaoh had to see some incredible power that he'd never seen before, certainly not by his weird magicians. He had to see something different. Much worse than he'd ever felt or seen before. But God also knew that his people were weak. They had been oppressed, apparently, for 400 years. They'd been in slavery. Think about 400 years in our thought life. 400 years, that would take us back to um, the medieval ages? That's an awfully long time. <laughs> it's almost prehistory for us, isn't it? You know, it's an incredibly long time of oppression. And no Israelites, it seemed, had uh, revolted against that oppression. They were kept down. And how their faith needed to be reminded and restored. Only a very powerful move, or ten of God, would help them to move out of slavery and come out of Egypt. To have total control and always having to win are bad obsessions for any of us to have, aren't they? That's a bad thing to have in your head. Think about how marriages can be destroyed by that. If one of the partners in a marriage has to always be right, has to always win the argument, has always to have the last say. What sort of an oppression is that on your partner? That's not fair. Beware if we need that, if that is one of our needs, because we will come crashing down one of these days if we are in control of others. Unless you've got a codependent or two, then you might stay there longer, but that sort of oppression does not please God, and you will come crashing down, even like the Pharaoh, beware. Now the first of all those plagues in our reading today was the plague of flies, I think we've got a picture of a plague of flies somewhere, Ooh, have you see that? I don't know about you, but I can't bear one fly. You know, you've got a fly hanging around your lounge. What do you do? You get one of those electric sappers and bloop, cremate the thing. They're fun, aren't they? <laughs> or do, you, do you use the Herald Express? What do you use? Or was it a spray? Quick spray? Oh, yes. <laughs> a toxic spray, that's quite handy. Just one fly, but. A whole swarm of flies. That's supposed to be a pharaoh there. He does look rather irritated, doesn't he? Not a nice thing to have to go through. Mm. Very unpleasant. How could you eat anything at all around you? There's a swarm of flies. That buzzing would get on your nerves. I think all you'd want to do is sort of wrap Yourself up and then cover yourself up and not do anything, not move at all. Very restrictive. Well, when this pharaoh had had enough, he called for Moses to rid him of the flies. Forget everyone else, but rid him of the flies. Go, sacrifice to your god here in the land. Moses says no to that because Hebrew worship and sacrifice would probably be detestable to the Egyptians. Um, Egyptians loved animals. They worshipped a lot of the animals in their land. So if the Israelites were sacrificing animals for their worship, um, that's what Moses is talking about here. Animal sacrifice was a no-no in the Egyptian mind. So um, that wouldn't work.
2: Okay, then, the desert it is,
0: says the pharaoh. Get rid of the flies. Well, he did, Moses did. But when not a fly remained, pharaoh changed his mind back to the old addiction of control. How that comes back to us if we've moulded it well. Our old addiction will rise up again when we're in fear of losing. No, 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 no. He would not let the slaves go after all. Ha, <laughs> ha. The next plague that we read of is the plague on the livestock. I'm not going to show you a picture of that. That is an upsetting picture to look at of animals. Um, and this, of course, would have been a terrible one for Egyptians. As I said, they loved and they worshipped animals. It would have been devastating to the Egyptian farmers, wouldn't it? To lose all their livestock, I know we've got a few farmers here in our congregation, to lose livestock is pretty devastating, I'm sure. To lose all your livestock would have been an Egyptian farmer's total nightmare. And a complete loss of their livelihood. No hope left for any prosperity for them, for their families. It was devastating, except for on the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived. How unfair that must have seemed to the Egyptian farmers who worked so hard with their livestock. How unfair that must have seemed. Did they know that it was their pharaoh who'd done that? Did they know? Did they dare think, this is my pharaoh?
2: Well, it did say that uh, in chapter nine,
0: hold uh, on. Sorry, now moving on now to the plague of boils. Plague of boils, there was no warning given to Pharaoh about this one. Uh, Moses was just sent, and Aaron were just sent to toss soot in the air, in front of Pharaoh, just to toss it. That was pretty audacious of him. And it came, the plague of boils, with all its horror. No warning; it just seemed to happen. It was just suffering for the ordinary Egyptians and the officials and Pharaoh himself. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, we're told this time. It wasn't just the Pharaoh himself hardening his heart. It says the Lord hardened his heart. Can the Lord Lord harden our hearts? Well, if he wants to teach or if he wants to show something, he might have to do that sometimes. He did here. And of course, it made Seen to the Egyptian people that it was Pharaoh's choice. That was clever of God. The next plague that arrives is the plague of hail. We got any hail pictures, done? Look at those whoppers. Has anyone ever seen big hailstones like that? Anyone seen that? Where did you see that, Molly? Well, Well, Thank you. Oh, yeah, so it happens in England. Yeah. It particularly happens, apparently, in the hotter hotter countries like Spain and uh, many parts of Africa. I don't know if you know about hail. Have you got any? Um, you got Viv today? What is Viv? Oh, I love Viv. How is hail made, Viv? Oh, my oh.
2: goodness. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I asked Viv, because you used <laughs> <you laughs> to
0: teach job for me?
2: Can you tell me? Come
0: When so it gets very, very hot, you get very, very big clouds building up, and you get oh. huge convection currents in clouds, and they take the moisture uh, droplets um, so high in the atmosphere that they get frozen. So it's so cold up there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's very good. Because <laughs> <laughs> we only get tiny little beams of, of hailstone usually, but it can happen suddenly. The hot and the cold make these whopping, winking things. Look at those. Get some really rounded ones, but there's a really scary, ragged one, doesn't so it? So does, it is possible. God actually gave the Pharaoh quite a bit of warning before this happened because he knew this was going to be pretty devastating to many. He did. He but even this, sorry, did not force Pharaoh's hand. Even though he said he would give in, when the hail stopped, Pharaoh, who look at that, ooh, damaged car by hailstones. Pharaoh changed his scheming mind once again and reneged, or said no, on his promise to Moses. Once we have broken a promise to someone, that's very difficult to restore, isn't it? Have you experienced that? Most of us probably have broken a promise once or twice in our lives, and if not many times. It becomes, once we've done it once, it becomes horribly easy yeah. to do it again, isn't it?
2: The more promises
0: we break, the more calloused we can become. As our willpower slowly gets more and more brittle, our love of the person we've promised to becomes as weak as tissue paper. We must not, brothers and sisters, we must not be people who break our promises. Mm -hmm. However small or big promises. A big promise is marriage. There's a big. What are you investing in that promise to another human being? What is he investing to you or she investing to him? That is a huge promise. Don't break that one. If You can help it. We must not be people who break promises. We must not get that reputation written on our foreheads because to trust that person again it's hard, it's hard to restore, especially with our children. Children have excellent memories in this area and feel unfairness like a sharp, cold wind in their face. You may think children, oh, they'll forget. No. If there's been a broken promise, that's a hard one. We must work hard at being promise keepers. We as Christians must wear trustworthiness. Amen. Like a necklace that we never take off. Don't take it off. Wear it. Well, next comes the swarm of locusts. Have got any locusts, John? Black ones. Have you ever seen a black locust? Apparently, um, there are big black ones in Africa. They look nasty, don't they? This is a real phenomenon, of course, which still happens today. It can up- they can utterly devastate, in, a mo- in moments, a whole field or even a whole landscape. It is dangerous and farmers in those you know, warmer countries must absolutely fear it. Now, Pharaoh's officials are getting desperate. They urge him to let these pesky Israelites go. But fanatically, he insists that they don't take the women and children. Remember, this Pharaoh cannot be a bad loser. What, that's what a swarm looks like I think that's a lad trying to catch some Lesson? <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do with them but anyway, look how thick it is and just imagine all those little mouths chomping, chomping, chomping um, and we're told in the, in the account there that they left it, they left the land completely black um, there's probably those black locusts up there and covered and pretty useless pretty useless, that land. So these farmers, they've lost their animals, now they've lost the fertility of their soil. Uh, Egypt, of course, was known for its fertile soil. Um, The real name for Egypt in those days was not Egypt, it was Aur. And Aur, A-U-R, I think, was apparently uh, a name meaning black land. Black land. And that is why, uh, that is because, sorry, the Nile River um, would bring, would in those days flood annually, and it would leave black, a blackish soil or silt behind, which was the fantastic benefit to the Egyptians, and made the land very fertile. And um, so they prided themselves on their fertile, fertile soil in Egypt. And so for a locust swarm, To come and just eat whatever they'd sown in that year, completely annihilate it, would have been devastating to those farmers and to the leaders of the land. Well, Pharaoh was just a demented man now. He is blind to the devastation of his own kingdom. Remember, winning is more important to him than even his country and his people. He was the worst loser imaginable. What an idiot. The next plague was darkness. Now this pharaoh was supposed to be an embodiment, remember, of the god Ra, the god of the sun, but now Ra is plunged into darkness. Have we got a picture of darkness, huh? Oh. I like that one. <laughs> These people have been plunged into an eternal light. Can you night can you imagine waking up in the morning and it's still dark and it remains dark and the whole day is dark. It's quite depressing, isn't it? We long for the light, don't we? We love it when the sun is shining on these summery days. And not to have that when they're so used to the warmth they're so used to the sun. In the fact, they worship the sun, these Egyptians. To not have their sun there must have been such a huge loss. Hmm. This time, the deranged Pharaoh wanted Moses to leave the Israelite livestock behind. He was happy for them to go, go, but please leave us your animals because ours have all died off. Moses would not agree to that. He could not agree his confidence by now. You remember he was a bit trembly at the beginning, a bit shaky there, Moses, but now he's going to ask for more this time. Okay. He says, no, no. He must have the livestock as well. So, I mean, what else were they going to use to sacrifice to God to? What else? Nothing. For Pharaoh, this was bad. He wasn't used to this. Someone was actually trying to, to bargain with Pharaoh. This time then, he orders Moses out of his sight. He's had enough he cannot. It's not enough of the plagues, it seems, but it's enough of being challenged, being bargained with. It's enough of a threat that this time he's going to lose. He can't bear it. He orders <laughs> Moses out of his sight. And Moses knows, yes, this is the time. I will get out of your sight. He knows that this is the time he must go to his Israelite people in Goshen and teach them about the Passover. I'm not going to talk about that because Aid is going to talk about that next next Sunday. Or is it two Sundays? It might be another time. Another time. <laughs> okay. Oh. Actually, this was not the bitter end, was it? We know that there is a terrible 10th plague. Did he think, did Pharaoh think he could escape it? Having to win, that destructive stubbornness always takes us down to a place of self-destruction in the end. He was heading We must quickly make friends with losing. We must not refuse to share a bed with losing. This is humility, isn't it? We are to be a people of humility. We are not really the people of Israel, but we are to be a people of humility. Jesus calls on each one of us. There's there's nobody here left out. (laughs) Jesus called constantly on each one of us. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. We must not be pharaohical. Just made that word up. Pharisaical, pharaohical. That'll do. We must learn from the folly of the Pharaoh. And escape to the land of humility. I want to finish on this verse. I think uh, we had a song on this verse earlier today. Thanks Liz. Your choice of songs are excellent this morning so far. This is a verse from Romans, isn't it? Is it Romans 8? If God is for us, who can be? against us, Well Pharaoh tried to be against him, but he lost. I want to finish with a video. This is a, a, a video from a chap called Eddie Lyle, who's um, one of the leaders of Open Doors. Have you heard of Open Doors? Open Doors is an organisation that serves and supports persecuted Christians. Persecuted Christians are in 60 countries in our world now. And Eddie Lyle explains, I mean you can listen to him, I've listened to him for a long time, it's awful stuff that he has to um, report. He's, By the way, he reported it to our youngsters in Soul Survivor. Because he knows they're the Christians who might go, go out to these countries. Who might go and go out to some of the Muslim world. He knew that. He says that there are so many Christians now. We are the highest, um, what's the phrase he used? We are the, the most persecuted uh, believers of all in our world right now.
2: If God is for us, I you, so my name is Lyle. I'm the who can be against us? I want to take you in your imagination with me to Southeast Asia. It's 12 o'clock at night. It's been an extraordinary week. During this week I've interviewed 179 persecuted Christians. People that have been put in prison. Some fathers that I held in my arms whose children were gang raped in front of them in order to drive them out of their communities and their businesses. It was really heart-rending. It's difficult. Very few people understand that there is a persecuted church and that Christians are the most persecuted people group on planet earth. Today, Christians are persecuted in 60 nations, that's 200 million of them. But there I was face to face with my brothers and sisters. And so as midnight rolled around, there were two very elderly people brought into the secret house that I was at. And sat down, we had a cup of tea and I asked them to tell their story. He was 80 years of age, she was 75. The story went like this. Every Wednesday, he went to the local market. I would take an orange box with me. I would put him up on the orange box. He would play his piano accordion, and he would play his three favorite hymns. I would lift him down off the box, and I would stand up on it, his wife said. And then I would tell the story about how Jesus Christ appeared to me in a dream, a man who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and then I'd give out Bibles to those that had questions that they wanted to ask me. They said to me, Brother Eddie, a couple of weeks ago things changed in a most extraordinary way because there were some men with long black beards in the audience and as my husband played his hymns and as I sang, they gave really strong expressions in their faces that were very disapproving of what we were doing. As the evening turned around, we made our way home and then we realised that we were being followed. As darkness fell, our front door was kicked open, and these crowd of men, screaming and yelling, burst their way into our home, they threw me against the wall, knocked me almost unconscious, pushed me to the floor, they tied his hands behind his back, and this man appeared from nowhere with a black hood over his head and a cudgel, he shouted, Allah, what, And he brought the cudgel down on top of my head, I thought I was going to meet Jesus. But as the cudgel came down an invisible hand appeared from absolutely nowhere and into our small room the glory of god came and just the weight of god's presence was so manifest our assailants were pushed onto the floor and they started to scream for mercy because they knew that there was a power far greater than themselves that was present they crawled physically on their stomachs out of our home they went into the night hours it's a story that i will always remember for the rest of my life. But I asked the one pertinent question: what did you do the next Wednesday? Well, her answer I'll never forget. She said, Brother Eddie, when God is for you, no one can be against you. And so the next Wednesday, we went back to the market with the orange box. I lifted my husband up onto the box. He played his three favourite hymns. I lifted him down, I got on top of I told how Jesus came and saved me, appeared to me, in a dream, and I gave out as many Bibles as I possibly could. What an extraordinary story of courage. What an extraordinary story that there is no end to being available to sharing our stories about Jesus Christ. When God is for us, no one can be against us.